open our Bibles to the book of Jude this morning, and we are going to conclude our study through the book of Jude today. Fairly ambitious. As you are uh, making your way there, just tell you a brief story. By the way, Jude's in the New Testament, second to the last book, just before the book of Revelation, in case you were wondering. Uh, there's an interesting story I was reading in the news. It's this week. It's out of Hampshire, the United Kingdom. Uh, and it's about uh, GameStation, a company called GameStation. Many of you are probably familiar with it. They have online gaming. And they inserted a clause into their online computer gaming contract a couple of weeks ago. Here's what the clause says. Here's how it reads. It says, quote, By placing an order via this website on the first day of the fourth month of the year uh, 2010, Anno Domini, you agree to grant us a non-transferable option to claim for now and forevermore your immortal soul. Should we wish to exercise this option, you agree to surrender your immortal soul and any claim you may have on it within five working days of receiving written notification from GameStation.com.uk or one of its duly authorized minions, end quote. Um, and uh, obviously a gag. It was put on there on April 1st, and they went on to talk about how their written notification of you would be in six-foot-tall, fiery letters, and, and so on. Um, here's the thing, though. <laughs> Nobody read it. Uh, you know, you say, well, somebody read it. It was in the paper. Yeah, they put it in. It was a publicity stunt. Nobody read it. They had it right underneath that clause. They had an opt-out button. You could click. You could still enter into the online gaming contract and do their online game and just opt out to that one little, you know, clause about giving them your immortal soul. <laughs> nobody did. Everybody just clicked, blindly clicked, clicked on the accept button. And just accept, yep, sounds good to me, click, let me just play the game, right? They clicked on it. Now, spiritually speaking today, there's many people blindly clicking the accept button. Spiritually speaking, they blindly click the accept button as they accept false teachers. Blindly clicking the accept button, accepting unbiblical doctrine and sitting in, in, in churches all across America, just blindly clicking the accept button. They're blindly click, clicking on that accept button that says, hey, you know what, all ways are, all religions are good and, and, you know, one religion is good and another religion is better and let's all just get along and, and so, you know, they blindly click on this idea of tolerating uh, the, the idea and the notion that many roads lead to God and, and so on and so forth. And, and of course, spiritually speaking, it's not a game we're talking about. I mean, it's okay on GameStation, I suppose, that you, know, you just sort of blindly read through it and click accept. And which one of us hasn't done that, really, uh, on those online contracts? You know, you're in some Wi-Fi spot, and you just want to get on the Internet. You're at the airport. You're at the you know, Portland Airport or whatever. You're trying to get on. And have you clicked the accept button on their terms and policies? Who reads them? Nobody really does. But spiritually speaking, there's so many people just blindly accepting the stuff that's being fed to them, and it's dangerous. We're in the book of Jude, guys, and, and the, the issue is you know, we're told to contend for the faith. Jude warns that false teachers have crept into the church and that they're teaching false doctrine, that they're leading people astray. 
And we, we examined last week several examples in the church today. How, how there are false teachers. We just broached the subject, broached the notion that there are false teachers in the church. And just, just touched on the issue that, hey, listen, there are several examples to look to in the, in the 2000 year, you know, 2010. There are churches to look at, examples to look at of people, uh, that, that are leading Christians astray. If you missed that message, I encourage you to go online, listen to that message as a companion to the message today. And we left off last week with Jude citing three Old Testament examples showing us that this is nothing new. Uh, he gave the example of the Jews who were part of the Exodus out of uh, bondage and captivity in Egypt. He gave the examples of the angels who left their proper abode. And he gave the examples of Sodom and Gomorrah, people that were blessed abundantly and they used that blessing and the idleness of time uh, and the excess of money uh, instead of pursuing a righteous relationship with God, they, they went head, fell headlong into the lust of the flesh and, and created just lived a moral lifestyle. Uh, and, and Jude's point in using those Old Testament, Testament examples is simply this. He's basically conveying the message, look, if you deny the only Lord Jesus Christ, and this is what he says in verse 4, then, and then if you deny the only Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll paraphrase, the end is death. You can start out in the right direction, uh, seemingly following after God, as the Jews who were part of the exodus from, from Egypt, bondage in Egypt did, or you can be blessed with amazing gifts, like these angels uh, were blessed with amazing gifts, or you can be blessed with abundant riches, like those in Sodom and Gomorrah were blessed abundantly, but apart from God, as Jesus says in John's Gospel, John fifteen five, you can do nothing. That's where we left off last week. So we continue now in verse 11. And here in verse 11, uh, Jude says, Woe to them, woe to these false teachers, for they have gone the way of, of Cain, they've run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and have perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, we're going to camp out here in verse 11 just for a few minutes, just warn you real quick. Let's, let's examine this. Um, Jude is writing to Jewish believers, okay? And, and so he's using these Old Testament examples to illustrate New Testament truth. We need to understand that. They would have caught immediately what he's talking about. I recognize not all of us are, are New Testament Jewish believers. So I want to go through these examples with you. And they're helpful because what he's, what he's doing here, he's exposing the motives of false teachers. Last, day, last week we talked about, hey, the, just the notion that there are false teachers in the church and you need to be careful. Now what he's going, what he's going on to do is say, hey, you need to understand their motives. This is why, here's why this is important to you. Here's why today you say, well, why should I know this? Why, what's important? Why do I need to know the motives of false teachers? I'm not interested in false teachers. Yeah, if you understand their motives, you'll understand what makes them tick and it'll help you to spot a false teacher a mile away and that's the whole point here. So let's just kind of camp here for a few minutes. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. There's three motives of false teachers. Now, I'm not saying that, that that's exhaustive, but there's three examples that he gives. So, three motives of false teachers. The first one is self-reliance, okay? False teachers, they're motivated by this desire of self-reliance. Uh, Jude says here, woe to them, they have gone the way of Cain. Now, we touched on this a little bit last week. In Genesis chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to kind of summarize. You can, you can go through and read it uh, on your own. But in Genesis chapter 4, 
It introduces to us there the two world religions. You say, Pastor Ted, there's lots of world religions. No, there's really, there's primarily, there's only two world religions. There is the religion that has been established by God, and then there is the religion that is established by men. These are the only two world religions. And that word religion, it's a Latin word, it's a Latin compound word, it's religere. Uh, and it basically means to reconnect. The idea is that man is separated from God, and that we need to be reconnected with God. This is what we believe as Christians uh, that, you know, and the Bible teaches us in the book of Romans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And so the, the, the Christian faith teaches we're separated from God. We've sinned. We've missed the mark. God's mark is perfection. We, we are not perfect. Far from it. Uh, if you've met me, you know that that's true. And, and so we, we, we are far from God. We're separated from God. And the wages of sin is death. We need to be reconnected with God. Ray Laguerre, religion. We need to be reconnected with God. And God's religion addresses that problem. Romans, again, says that the wages of sin is death. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But it tells us that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the son of the risen God, that, that, that God raised him from the dead, and you confess that with your lips, that you will be saved. And so this is the true religion that, that can only lead to everlasting life. All every other religion is based on man's works and man's efforts. And so what we see in Genesis chapter 4 is that Abel comes to God as he was taught by his father Adam. He comes to God with the blood of a lamb, offering a slain lamb. It's the picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who would be slain to take away the sins of the world. We sang Jesus' praises today. Because of your cross, my sins are washed away. It's because of your blood. It's because of your love. This is why I live. Uh, and, and so this is our faith, this is our profession, and this is the true religion that's manifested by Abel there in Genesis chapter 4. Now the false religion is manifested by Cain, and that's what uh, Jude is talking about here in verse 11 when he says that these false teachers have gone the way of Cain. What he's talking about is that going the way of Cain is going in the direction of you trying to reach God on your own standards, on your own righteousness, on your own efforts. And you can't do that. I wonder, you know, if you, if you realize that. That you can't reach God on your own efforts. Now, now, knowing that intellectually doesn't keep that falsehood from kind of percolating in our hearts. Uh, the, the, the attitude of the way of Cain has this insidious way in our lives. Not only are there those who do preach a message of you need to do good, you need to try harder, you need to, uh, to uh, and, and I, I say this not to, 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 uh, to, to offend anybody, but this is the truth. You don't need to go to confession uh, and confess your sins in a confessional and, and say ten Hail Marys and ten Our Fathers to get right with God. That, that practice sends the message that there's something that you can do to make yourself right with God. You can't. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself right with God. As I've said before in other messages, the message of the cross, the message of Christianity, it's not do, do, do. It's done, done, done. Jesus has paid it all, as we sang this morning. All to Him I owe. 
Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. It's the work that Christ has done on the cross to forgive us our sins. So we don't need to go to a mediator. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man and it's, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. He's the one that we go to. He's the one that, that is our, our intercessor, who the book of Romans says ever lives to make intercession before the throne of God on our behalf. Right now, this very moment, this second, Jesus is, the, is at the right hand of the throne of God praying for you. And he's praying for me and he's praying for us by name. And that ought to give you incredible hope and incredible confidence. And this is, this is the, 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 the true religion, but, but the false religion says, no, there's something that I need to do. There's something that I, that I need to do to get right with God. And like I said, it's kind of this insidious thing that, that it can be outright where there's those false religions telling you, hey, you need to do something. And then it can just be this, this, this secretive kind of thing that happens in our hearts where it's like, man, I, I've sinned against God and I feel the, the conviction, the Holy Spirit's right there convicting me of sin. Notice I didn't say condemnation. That's Satan's job. He condemns us. The Holy Spirit just convicts us. But we sin, we feel convicted. Satan jumps on that. He begins to condemn us. And now I feel like, well, I can't go t- to God until, you know, I just need to let some time pass and some distance pass from that sin. So I, I, I can't go to God right now. Or, you know, maybe I need to do something good, you know, to get right with God or, or whatever it is. No, we need to just turn from our unrighteousness and run to God. That's, that's the message of the cross. That's, that's true religion. Uh, true reconnection. When I recognize it's Jesus that reconnects me, not my own efforts. But, but uh, you know, here, uh, Judah's saying, look, false teachers are saying, no, they're going in the way of Cain. They're preaching the message that something that man can do to make himself right with God. Listen to this. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. 8 and 9, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Peter said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. This is the true religion. Every false religion says, no, there's something that you need to do. There's something that you need to do to, to get right. Now, here's the deal. False teachers are, are peddling the false truth, this religion of Cain. They're trying to persuade you to join them. Uh, and, and I want to tell you how this looks within the Christian church. Yes, there are false teachers who are telling you in, you know, the Buddhist faith or in, in some other faith that denies the one true God. They, you know, the God can be that fence post out there. There are those type of religions that completely deny God. But what you need to understand is that there are those religions that masquerade as so-called Christian religions that are preaching the way of Cain and you need to know how to spot, how to spot them because here's what, what those so-called Christian religions do and this is where we need to be careful. Remember, Jude is writing to Christians. The message is to us in the church. He's saying you have people that have infiltrated the Christian church and you need to spot those ones that are in the Christian church having you follow the way of Cain. And so here's, here's what false teachers do when they infiltrate the, the Christian church is they, they try to get you to see your Bible through their grid or through their matrix. I... Um, I went to Disneyland this last week. Um, I took Pastor Cody's kids. Mine are all grown up. They're adults, but I live vicariously now through Cody's kids. And um, 
my grandkids grow up, they can join us. But so I took Cody's kids, and it, Disneyland's no fun without kids, you know. But you take kids, it's cool. So anyway, I go there and I bring his kids, and they've they've uh, they've got Captain EO is back. You guys remember Captain EO? Do you remember? It's it's the it's a three D show that's got Michael Jackson in it. And I, we went and we sat through it. We watched it. They have it now as a tribute. And we were there, 20 minute show or whatever. I walked out going, boy, that's every bit as lame as I remember it from 20 years ago. But, uh, but when you go to this show, it's this 3D show and you have to put on these 3D glasses to watch the show. And so I, I, you put on the glasses and you see everything in 3D and the 3D is cool actually. And, and so, you know, they, the, the show is designed. They want you to watch it by looking through these 3D glasses. Well, this is what false teachers do in, in the church when they want to lead you astray in the way of Cain. They want you to see the Bible through their glasses. Okay. Are you with me? So let me, let me show you how this works in a lot of different faiths. For instance, the Mormon church, uh, the, the false teachers of the Mormon church want you to put on their glasses. And their glasses are that you follow Joseph Smith and the doctrines of the covenants of the pearl of great price. Uh, and, and that's what they want you to look at your Bible through. And as you look at your Bible through that matrix, then you'll see the Bible the way they want you to see the Bible, as opposed to just looking at the true Bible by itself. Jehovah's Witnesses, they want you to follow the teachings of Charles Taze Russell and the Watchtower Bible Tract Society, and these are the glasses they want you to put on as you, as you read your Bible. Or the Christian scientists will say, and there's an oxymoron term, Christian scientists, but anyway... <laughs> They'll say, hey, follow the keys to science and healing by Mary Baker Eddy, and that's what you look at your Bible through. See, that's that, those are the, that's the glasses they, they want you to put on, on there. Or, you know, the feminist Christian, they, the glass, the glasses they want you to do, put on are feminism. Look at your Bible through that. Or the, the prosperity Christian says, hey, look at your Bible through your checkbook. That's how we want you to look at your Bible. Look at it through your checkbook, and that's, that's the interpretation. Uh, the cult leaders, they say, look at your Bible through our leader. Just look at our leader, and our leader is going to tell you what the Bible says. And you can always spot when this is happening because the followers of this cult begin quoting the leader, and they stop quoting their Bibles. Well, you know, Brian McLaren says that the Bible is an evolving truth and that I just need to trust in the fact that we are an evolved species and that as we come into a higher state of, of understanding that the, the old truths of the Bible are subject to reinterpretation. And, and Brian McLaren said, well, Brian McLaren's not in your Bible. And we need to just look at it. We need to read the Bible, right? That's, that's the whole idea. So here's what I want you to understand. False teachers as they are self-reliant and they want to have you just to, to follow this religion of Cain, this self-reliant religion, what they want you to do is they place themselves over the Bible and they lead people to themselves and to their movements and that's, what they, that's the way they want you to come. But true teachers, godly teachers, they place themselves under the Bible and they want to lead you to Jesus Christ. And you need to be really careful, guys, because false teachers are slick, they're charismatic, they're, you know, they, they have a way about them. People don't just follow false teachers for, for false doctrine's sake. They're really good at getting you to look at them and to not look at the Word. 
to not look at Jesus. So you have to be careful. And I, I don't care if it's me teaching you or if it's Pastor Terry or Pastor Cody or who, or who it is that you're listening to, you always apply this same standard. If I ever stand before you and you are feeling as though I'm pointing you to me and, I, and I'm coming between you and Jesus, then get rid of your pastor and get someone else. Because you need to follow after Christ, not a false teacher. And it's your responsibility to defend the gospel. You need to be very careful. Second motive I want you to notice here in verse 11 is that not only are false teachers self-reliant, false teachers are also self-indulgent. They're self-indulgent. Take a look again, verse 11. He says, Woe to them, they've gone the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Now, you can read all about this in Numbers chapter 22. For time's sake, we're not going to turn there. But in Numbers chapter 22, we see Israel steadily taking possession of the land. God told the Israelites to go in, take possession of the land. They're following him. They're taking possession of the land. And, and as they're doing this, they're, they're conquering those that are in there, uh, that are in the land. And so Balak, the king of the Moabites, sees Israel moving into his territory, and, he's, and he wants them out. And so he, what he does is he goes to Balaam. Balaam is a prophet of God. And, and, king, and Balak, the, the king of the Moabites, his, his strategy, his tactic is to get Balaam. And he says, hey, Balaam, you're a prophet of God. Why don't you curse the Israelites? Because if you curse them, then we can conquer them. Now, if this guy's a prophet of God, what do you think that the right answer should have been? No, right? No, I'm not going to curse the people. Well, uh, you know, Balaam basically, to make a long story short, he basically says, how much does it pay? And, and, and Balak offers him a lot of money basically to tell him what he to say what he wants him to say. And, and what you need to understand is that in the church today, there are many who are willing to pay their leaders lots of money to say what they want them to say so that they feel good about what it is that they're doing. I see this all the time. People will come to me in counseling. And whenever I counsel somebody, there's basically two types of people that come to see me for counseling. The one type says, I want to know what the Lord has to say. I want to know where I'm getting wrong. And I'm asking you, Pastor Ted, to show me in God's word where I can get right. They don't come to me and say that, but that's, what they, that's, that's the one type. They want to know, where am I off track and how can I get back on track and how can I follow it? The, uh, the second type that comes to see me, they want me, they want me to say a certain thing that helps them feel good about the lifestyle that they're living. And so when they come to me, they want Pastor Ted with Pastor Ted's authority because if Pastor Ted says it, then I, okay, me and God are good, right? And so they come to me and they want to hear me say, oh yeah, you know, God's okay with what you're doing. That's what they want to hear. And in the church today, well, Paul said it to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said this. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. He said that uh, a time was coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. There are those that want to hear what they want to hear. We're not there. You can't make the mark in that section in 2 Timothy. But they, when he uses the word fables, it's a Greek word that, that, that means myth. It's the, the word is muthos. And literally, the translation is to close or keep secret. 
And so their idea is they'll turn aside to that thing which allows them to close up God's word and keep secret God's word. They don't, they're not interested in following God's word. They want to follow a lie and they want to follow it at any cost. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, false teachers are self-indulgent. They're greedy, they're just looking for money, and there's no end to those people who, like Balaam, are willing to be bought at a price. And so you need to be really careful when you listen to people teach God's Word and, and, te- and teaching things that are tickling people's ears. You've got to understand they're doing that because they're bought at a price. They're greedy. And you have to be careful and you have to, to really guard your hearts in that way. Quickly, the third mode of the false teachers is that they have selfish ambition. They're selfishly ambitious. Again, verse 11, he says they've gone in the air of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now, again, you can read about the rebellion of Korah in Numbers chapter 16, but I'm going to give you the shorthanded version. Korah was one of the the Israelites, uh, one of of among the nation. He was one of many leaders, and he, he, along with uh, over 200 other leaders within the the Israelite uh, nation there under Moses and Aaron, they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. Basically, they coveted Moses' and Aaron's positions. And they basically took this attitude that says, well, why does that get to do worship? I want to do worship. Why is, he, why is he the only guy who gets to go up and worship? Why does Pastor Cody get to oversee all the home fellowships? I want to oversee the home fellowships. I, I can do just as good a job as him. Pastor Ted thinks he's so smart. He's up there in the, the pulpit. Why, why don't they let me up there? I'll show the people how it's, you really can preach a message. You know, This is the attitude that, that Korah had. And he led the people astray. And, and I, I, I have this in my notes. I put down, critics tear down, leaders build up. And this is the thing about those who are selfishly ambitious when it comes to, to falsehood in the body of Christ. Because, because there are those people that are so consumed with themselves and, and they're, 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 they're greedy and they're selfish, they're self-centered and they, they want to make merchandise of you. And what they do is they, they sit in judgment of other people and they, their job, they'll criticize, they'll tear down other people because they want their position. And, and the, the truth is, and, and we, we find sort of the key in this, in number 16, in fact, I, I think it is, and in verse 9, I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Moses is calling Korah on his sin, number 16, 9. He says to him, is it a small thing to you, basically what God has entrusted to you? I'm paraphrasing. He goes, is it a small thing to you that God's entrusted your gift to you, your area of service? See, as Christians, God's gifted you. If you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit has has come to take residence in your life, you have spiritual gifts that God has given to you. And God's called us to be faithful to use our gifts in service to Him. And what we have to be careful of is those false teachers who basically despise the gifts that God has given to them. They're not being faithful in the exercise of their gifts. No, they want to sit in judgment and criticize and tear down. Can I tell you, criticism is not a spiritual gift. (laughs) <laughs> it is not a spiritual gift. And the only reason they're criticizing is because they want to get a committee, a posse, a group of people together that, hey, we can knock you down and now I can take, I'm an opportunist and I'm going to take something that God has, has done in your life. I'm going to covet that and I'm going to move in to that position. The reason I emphasize this is because this happens in churches all the time. 
all the time where we see people and they'll come in and, and they'll, they'll say, oh wow, you know, wow, look, there's Reliance Church, there's a few hundred people that are going there. That, uh, that would be nice to have a few hundred people listening to what I have to say. And they, they might want to come in and, and mislead and, and to, to draw away a following after themselves. They don't care about you. They care about their selfish ambition. And so that's why I wrote down in my notes, critics tear down, leaders build up, because what I, what I want to say and have said to those that I've, that I've, you know, wolves that come in, is, you know, you're spending a lot of time criticizing and tearing down. What have you built? What are you building? Because if you would just be, if you would, can I say it in love? If you just shut up and serve God, with the gifts that he's given to you and be part of the body of Christ instead of trying to steal away from the body and, and have your own thing. And this could be a beautiful thing if we all just use our spiritual gifts in service to the Lord. But, but if you try to make merchandise and you're, you're, you're self-indulgent and you're, 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 you have selfish ambition and self-reliant, and this is your, your lifestyle, this is your standard, well, then we don't need you around here. And we need to be really careful as Christians that we look to the motives of people because if you're looking for it and you can recognize somebody who is, who's motivated by selfish ambition, you can see it a mile away. And so we need to be careful. So as Jude says here, summarizing verse 11, he says, some false teachers are like Cain, they're self-reliant, they're teaching a man-centered gospel. He says, some are like Balaam, they're self-indulgent, they're teaching the people what they want to hear for profit. And he says, some of the people are like Korah, they're filled with selfish ambition, and they're teaching the people to disrespect their their leaders and to rebel against authority. So we need to be careful about that. Jude goes on in verse 12. He says, these are spots in your love feasts. The, the word spots there, if you're a note taker, circle it, right? Hidden rocks, because that's the picture. It's, it's a, it speaks of a rock that's hidden below the surface of the water. And that's what Jude is saying here. He's like, these are, are spots in your love feast. They're hidden beneath the waterline. You can't see them. Uh, and he, he says, uh, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. So spots in your love feast. That's a weird word, Ted. What's, that's, I'm uncomfortable with that. What's, what's a love feast? A love feast is what we do here at the, at the end of the service when we partake of communion together. Uh, you know, Jesus, when he drew his disciples together and he exhorted them to, to, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. This is, this is my blood which is shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, uh, you know, and, and uh, partake and, and eat. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, and, and so whenever we gather together as Christians to, to share a meal that's gathered around, uh, that's gathered around the table, breaking bread and, and having communion and remembering what Christ has done, this is what the love feast was. And the Christians in the early church, they would gather together and they would have these love feasts. And Paul talking to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he, he was exhorting, well, he was, he was <laughs> chastising them because they had become so incredibly self-centered that their selfishness and their self-centeredness had permeated even into this meal, these love feasts, where they would gather together for the, the purpose, the express purpose to remember the most other-centered act in all of human history, what Christ did for us on the cross. And, and, and Paul says, you guys have become so self-centered that now you're getting together for the love feast, and, and when other people are delayed, they're not able to come because, you know, they got work or whatever, and, 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 and when they're not there, you're eating all the food before 
before they get there. You're drinking all the wine before they get there. You're getting drunk. Uh, and, and, and what? You're, it's supposed to be the remembering of what Christ has done for us. And this is exactly what Jews talking about. He says, these false teachers, they're spots. They're hidden rocks in your love feast. Uh, there they, that they, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They don't care if you get some of the bread. They don't care if you get some of the, the, the juice. They don't care if you get some of the... the you know, they, they just care about themselves. That's what he's talking about here. He goes on, he says, They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. They have the promise of rain and refreshment, but they're empty. He says, they're late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Uh, He says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. Take note of how many times the word ungodly is used, which they have commanded in an ungodly way uh, or committed in an ungodly way. And uh, and of all the, the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers. By the way, just a word on that. Ungodly, 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 ungodly. Can I just tell you, if you want to spot a false teacher, take a close look at their life. They are ungodly. They come across, they put on a great show. Get to know them. As the Bible commands, know those that labor amongst you. We, we want to get to know you. As you come and you say, hey, I want to, Pastor Ted, I, I, I got the gift of singing. I want to, I want to serve on the worship team. I say, great. We want to get to know you. Can you serve in the children's ministry? Can you, can you just show up and pray with us in the morning? Can you, can, you know, whatever it is. Can you just be faithful? Can I get to know you? Because when you get to know a person and you're going to find out, how do they live? What's their character? What's their conduct? Are they godly? Or are they ungodly? I'm not saying are they are they sinful? Do do they sin? You know, all sin. Everybody blows it. What's their characterization? Are they godly or are they ungodly? You watch your teachers. You see, is that a godly person? Is that an ungodly person? How does he treat his wife? How does he treat his kids? What what kind of decisions does he make? You watch for that. He says. These are grumblers, they're complainers, they're walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain attention. Eddie Haskell's in ministry. But you, <laughs> beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would mo- walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Verse 20. He says, But you... This is the, the hinge on which we're, the, this, we're changing directions here. We're changing the direction here. Jude, all the way up until this point, all the way up until verse 20, he's saying, Hey, there are false teachers. The false teachers have infiltrated your churches. Here's what they look like. Here's their motives. These are the things that they do. We want you to be aware so you're not following after them. Verse 20, but you. Now he's going to focus on you. You ever taken a group picture? Who do you, who do you want to look at first in the group picture? Who do you look for first? You look for you? You're going, I'm going to have your full attention because the rest of this is about you. Okay? But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, 
praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, he basically says, look, I'm going to give you four things, a pattern of four things that you need to do. If you want to be that person that's not misled, if you want to be that person that's strongly walking after a relationship with the Lord and enjoying all the fruits and the benefits of of that tight, close relationship with God, there's four things that you need to do. And they're the same four things, by the way, that if you if you look in in the book of Acts, again, I'll give you the scripture reference and I'll read it to you, but we won't turn there. Acts 2.42. These are the things, the four things that the early church committed themselves to when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord said, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for the gift my father promised. Uh, and as they waited upon the Lord and just, and just prayed and waited for the Lord, he showed up, he poured his Holy Spirit out upon them. A great work began to be done. And from then on out, the disciples committed themselves to four things, to stay connected to God. It says, and they continued steadfastly. And the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. These are the things that the early church was steadfastly committed to. And any body of believers, if you stay steadfastly committed to these four things in your life, you too will experience God's incredible moving and working in your life. I'm going to tell you a story in a minute about Nate Busby and and a work that God did in his life. And he called me yesterday to tell me about it. But after he told me about it, and I'll forget to tell you this, I'm saying it now. But after he told me about it, he goes, I've never seen God work like this in my life. And I said, if you keep doing what, you've, what you're doing, if you keep making the decisions that you're making, you'll see God work like this in your life all the time. And, and keep that in mind when I tell the story, and you'll go, wow, that's profound. Yeah, okay, well, it's God. <laughs> so, so they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine, in the Bible, studying the Bible, uh, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. And, and we see all of these things manifested here. He says, you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Can, can I ask you a question? Do you know how you build your faith? The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So if you want to build yourself up in faith, can I just tell you, it's as simple as reading your Bible. It is that simple. If you say, I, I'm struggling with faith, and, and faith, by the way, it manifests itself in, God tells you to do something, and you go, yeah, I, I don't know if I can do that. I, I don't know if I can do that. Well, you know what, that, you got a faith issue. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. As you take God's word in, your faith will grow. That's how it works. He says, you need to build yourself up on your most holy faith. He says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Write this down, Romans chapter 8, verses 26, 27. Says there in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. We can pray to God. We can ask God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord? And, and, and Lord, would you help me to pray? And in fact, we do that here Sunday mornings. We get everybody together. First thing we do when we gather together, I've told you guys this before, you need to know it, that we don't do church until we've prayed. We get together every Sunday. Everyone's welcome. You want to come pray? We're here from 6.45 to 7.15 praying. That's, that's how we start our day. And as we pray, we pray, Lord, would you help us to pray? Pour your spirit out upon us. We, you know, your word says that we're, (laughs) the heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who could know it? 
You know it. You, you help us to pray. Romans 8 tells us you help us to pray in our weakness. God help us to pray. That's what he's talking about here. He says, you, you um, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, he says something kind of controversial. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Let me tell you what he's not saying there. He's not saying that you have to keep God loving you. He's not saying that you have to earn God's love. He's saying that you need to keep yourselves in God's love. Now, I'm going to illustrate this with a story. Uh, My daughter Megan uh, got her license. First day. I love my daughter Megan. I want to bless her. In fact, you know, the Bible says that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, he said, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The principle is that we're to ask God and and also that God wants to give us good gifts. And and so, and and I'm not, this isn't, you know, some prosperity thing. God wants to bless you, you know, and make sure, sow a seed of faith. I'm not saying that, I'm, I'm saying, yes, God wants to bless you. And the whole idea of that, that, that we need to keep ourselves in the love of God, I will say it this way so you'll remember. Keep yourself near the spout where the blessings come out. Okay? And again, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel and prosperity doctrine. Here's what I'm saying. Megan gets her license. She says, Dad, can I have the keys to the car? A friend of mine's having a birthday party. I say, baby, here's the keys to the car and go have fun. Here's what time I want you home. Now, my kids will all tell you curfew's a very big deal to me. It's always been a very big deal to me. You as parents, you pick whatever big deal is to you. For me, curfew's a big deal. So, honey, here's the keys and go take my car with my blessings. I want to bless you. Obey me and be home by your curfew. Megan shows up 15 minutes late. Her sister Caitlin throws her under the bus and tells me why she was 15 minutes late. <laughs> that, uh, you know, there was a boy, you know, Caitlin rules, boy, she follows him. And, uh, you know, she's telling Megan, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. Megan found a boy with Megan and that was her thing. It was always the boys. They were the problems. And so um, she's 15 minutes late because she was talking to some boy. I'm like, keys, license, right here. She lost it for a month. I said, you do not get your keys back. You don't get your license back for a month. She just got her license a couple hours before that, a few hours before that. Now you go, wow, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. You're right, it doesn't. Curfew was, curfew was a big deal to me, and I told Megan that. I said, hey, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. You're only 15 minutes late, but you need to understand curfew is a huge deal to me, baby. You need to understand that. When I tell you I want you home at a certain time, I don't mean a minute later. I don't mean 30 seconds later. I mean I want you home then, and that's when you'll be home. Now I wanted her, I wanted her to learn this lesson. Here's the point, and here's what I want you to hear. When he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. God wants to bless us, but you if you're living a life of disobedience, he can't bless you because you're not going to be benefited by him blessing and moving in your life. It's not going to work that way. And so you're going to limit that good that God wants to do in your life if you live a life of disobedience. That's the whole point here. Now, Nate Busby calls me and he says, Ted, I got to, I got to tell you a story. Nate had, had been, been unemployed for a time. He was play, praying for a job and we were all praying and praying and praying and, and he came in to see me the day he was supposed to hear and he hadn't heard and, you know, and, and all. And finally the good news came. He got the job. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. We're all just celebrating. And so he calls me. He says, I, I want to tell you this story, Ted. I was doing a personal devotion, going through 1 Samuel, reading there how, 
how Saul had been disobedient to God. And in Saul's disobedience to God, God removed his spirit from him. And he forfeited his, his right to be the king over Israel because of his disobedience. And he said, I was doing that devotion. I was doing another devotion. I was challenged with the question, where am I being disobedient to God? He said, I thought about it. I prayed about it. He said, you know what the Lord convicted me of? Xbox. He said, the Lord wanted me to get rid of my Xbox. He goes, sounds like a stupid thing, but you know, here, it, I, I wasn't obeying him. And he said, so I, I boxed it up and uh, took pictures of it all boxed up, texted it to my wife, posted it on, for sale on Craigslist. If you're looking for an Xbox and it's not a sin issue from you, I know a guy's selling one. <clears throat> and uh, so <laughs> I get 10%, right? Nate? So... Uh, so he, put, he posted for sale on Craigslist. He takes it down to his wife's office and drops it off. She's in tears. And, and she's saying, well, an hour after he does that, he gets the call that he's got this job. An hour after he took this step of obedience to God. Now, I, and I, I don't, it's, I'm, what I'm not saying is that you know, God's going to bless you and, and, you know, do all of this stuff and your life is going to be without hard or hardship or, you know, like a country western song when you pay it backwards, you get your dog back and you get your wife back and you get your kids back, you know. And I'm not saying that everything in your life is automatically going to all work out. And God, sometimes he prescribes some difficult things for us to go through. So I'm not trying to make it all that nice and neat and tidy. But here's what I am saying. I'm saying that God blesses obedience. And I'm saying that God is not going to, and maybe, hey, maybe the Lord has something in it. Maybe this is for you right now. Maybe there's an issue in your life where you're being disobedient. And God would say to you, you know what? I, I can't bless you right now. I can't give you that thing that you've been begging me for right now. Because you're disobedient to me. And you're not keeping yourself in my love. And right now for you, my message to you is give me the car keys. Give me your license. You're grounded. And I would just encourage you guys, take a walk with that. For you ladies, just a freebie here. Dawn comes up to me, adds to the story. She said, you know, I've been nagging Nate for, for, for the longest time about all this stuff. And about six months ago, God told me to stop talking to him and start talking to God. Just to start praying. She said, I haven't said a word to Nate. She, she said, I can't even talk to you anymore, Pastor. I'm going to start crying. She's just been praying, just trusting this issue to the Lord. Lord, would you please work in my husband's life? Keep yourself in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking there, that fellowship, that expectation. He says, and on some have compassion, making a distinction. <clears throat> but on others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Uh, a lot we could say about that. Here's the short version. If you love people, love will dictate how you reach people. The false teachers don't care about people. They're not going to give that degree of attention to the people around them to know how to reach them because they don't care about reaching them. The people are merchandise. The people are there for their, the, the, the false teacher's benefit. But if you, if you're keeping yourself in the love of God and if you truly have a saved faith with Christ, then what's going to happen is God's going to give you a heart of love and compassion on how to reach the people that are around you. And you need to understand that the way you reach people is not all the same. Some people, you have to scare the hell out of them. Really, literally. There are those people when that's, that's it, some with, you know, saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire. 
There are other people that you have to reach through love and compassion and gentleness. And the Holy Spirit will give you the discernment to know which. Verse 24, we conclude with this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forevermore. Amen. I had the great privilege this week on Friday to go to the graduation of a guy who had been addicted to methamphetamine for 20 years. I went to his graduation from U-Turn for Christ on Friday night. He's, uh, he's a relative of, of one of our members. And, um, and I was talking to him, and he said, yep, I used meth for 20 years. And he says, what you need to know, Pastor Ted, is for the last 10 years, I've used meth every single day. There hasn't been a day in the last 10 years that I haven't taken methamphetamine. And he's been clean and sober for two months. Jesus Christ delivered that man. And, and it, is, it, is by, it is by Christ alone. And as I went to his graduation, uh, the Lord gave me this, these verses to share with him. And, and I pulled him aside. I said, Bobby, listen to me. Verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Bobby, Jesus saved you. Wasn't you white-knuckling it. It wasn't, you couldn't do it 20 years. Jesus saved you. Jesus delivered you. Jesus made you right. And Bobby, as you graduate and you're going to go back into the world now, you need to remember that it's Jesus who saved you And it's Jesus who can keep you. He's able to keep you from stumbling. And I said that to Bobby and I would say it to each of you. Listen, be careful who you follow. Understand that there are are two religions. One is man's efforts, man's way, and one is God's way. And you need to make sure that it's Jesus who you're crying out to, Jesus who you're depending on, Jesus who you're following. And if you will seek first his kingdom, his righteousness... And trust him that all these other things will be added unto you as well. And if you will trust that he's the only one that's able to keep you from stumbling and following, you'll do all right.